0: Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. In that hardback, well, I'll, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, if you're new, let me bring you up to speed. We're in the middle of an Old Testament book called Daniel. This was a few hundred years before Jesus, and God's people known as Israel, had sinned against God so much and so consistently despite God's warning that he would carry them off into captivity, let their enemies gain victory if they continued in sin, continued not trusting their Savior, that he would discipline them in the most extreme of fashions. And it happened exactly like God said he warned would happen. And so um, first Assyria for the northern tribes, later Babylon for Judah, are given victory over Israel, which to Israel was kind of unthinkable because they didn't listen to God when he warned them, right? Anybody ever here been disciplined by God and you were surprised by it, even though scripture clearly warned you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Christian life. I'm shocked by this. He's been telling me this for a long time. So this is what Israel was going through. They're taken away into captivity and in two phases, Nebuchadnezzar grabs uh, first a, a tenth, the top 10% of military intelligence, political leadership, economic leadership from Israel doesn't want them to have the ability to rebel. So he grabs what, what we would call you know, the, the Ivy Leaguers, rips them out of there and takes them, indoctrinates them in the language, culture, customs, and literature of Babylon. It says, you're going to serve us. You're going to make our empire stronger at the same time as making it harder for you guys to rebel and we're now in week seven of this story where we over and over are seeing, are you ready? I'm about to start preaching. That the God of the Bible is not intimidated that his people are in Babylon. We might be intimidated when the culture gets dark, but the God who knows nothing of defeat doesn't get intimidated. Hallelujah. Amen. Are, are you trusting your resurrection one day to a God who cowers in the corner? Right? So Babylon is dark. Babylon does not honor God. Babylon has its own deities. And Yahweh says, and what's your point? This does not move the God of the cosmos off of his throne because the powers of the world worship other gods and do other things and tell God's people what they can and cannot do. Right? Right? I'm preaching now, so it it does not matter what the Supreme Court says or does. It does not matter what the House or the Senate says or does, right? Everything that the House or the presidency or the Senate or the Supreme Court, they are either doing something that is more aligned to the will of God or less aligned to the will of God. God is not subservient to them. He is not thinking through, oh man, is the Senate gonna approve what I have to say? That's ludicrous. Saturn is still spinning on its axis Colossians 1, because Christ holds all things together by the word of his being. Your heart is still beating because Christ says so. Your brains are still waving because he says so. Molecules hold together because he says so. It was made for him and by him and through him. And that's good news. Christ's lordship is good news because he loves you more than you love you. So this big God... Not intimidated by world governments and world systems, philosophies that say, This is what's true, this is what's right, that silly Bible of yours, no. God's not intimidated. And we get to see into the lives some of the highlight reel of four men who join Yahweh in their in their full hearted faith, they are not intimidated either. And they do some pretty amazing things. Daniel chapter four, we're gonna see Nebuchadnezzar have a scary dream. Let's see the button. Work well, we're going to go to Nebuchadnezzar's scary dream. So, Daniel chapter 4, let me get over there. Do, 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 do. The slide says what page to go to, but I just don't remember. Awesome, uh, Daniel. Okay. All right, uh, let's go back. Oh, that was me. I pressed that button a bunch of times. (laughs) Awesome, thank you. Okay, this chapter in its entirety. So I know we're ADD, but I know you can do it. I believe in you, because it's one story. And who knows, I might stop and commentate along the way. So chapter four, because Gregory has ideas. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Stop. Did King Nebuchadnezzar rule over the whole world? Yes or no? Did he rule over everything that their empire knew of? Could you imagine the maps you have? Every piece of land and every people group that you have knowledge of, you've conquered. Would that make you arrogant? Like, there theoretically might be people we haven't conquered, but we don't specifically know. We've conquered everything. Wow. Here's his message Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. Holy cow. Did a polytheist just say Most High God singular? So something big must have happened. He's about to tell us. Verse 3. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders, his kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity, but one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologer, Amway representatives came in, I told them the dream. It's it's in the Hebrew, look it up. Um, Chaldee, actually. Uh, Fortune tellers came in. I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. At last, Daniel came in before me and I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar after my God. Did you just hear past tense? He was named Belteshazzar. These four men had Yahweh's name stripped from them when they were renamed. And now somebody smacked Nebuchadnezzar upside the head and is making him rethink everything. Maybe I should not have renamed him because the God he was worshiping is the one who seems to solve problems. He seems to be more powerful than he was named. Belteshazzar after my God, the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians. I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. While I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit. Excuse me, for all to see. Wild animals lived in its shade, and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, "'Cut down the tree and lop off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven.' and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. Is this symbolism not talking about a tree and then starts calling him first person masculine? Did you hear him twice? Okay, the tree is a hymn. You all have honorary associate's degree in dream interpretation now, so you're good to go. Verse 16, for seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. uh, Belteshazzar, that was the name that I, King Nebuchadnezzar had. That was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar had. Now tell me what it means for none of the wise men of the kingdom can do so. But you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was, coming, uh, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. So time out real quick. Do we hear Daniel having love, concern, and empathy for his pagan wicked king? That throws people into furnaces. Trivia time for those of you who went, grew up going to Sunday school. Who else loves his enemies? Christians are a coin flip, but Jesus for sure loves his enemies. <laughs> Christians love their enemies more and more as the Holy Spirit is slowly winning the victory in their life. But Jesus, you don't even have to wonder. Okay, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're seeing something of the character of God poured out in these four men, whether we're dealing with Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're seeing something of the character of God. He wants blessing and benefit for this king who has thrown his friends into the fire. And you think, well, it worked out okay, so he's not bitter. Like, he could have still been bitter, (laughs) He still could have been done with this guy. Yeah, I I have no... And yet Daniel seems to understand what is really clear as we read the text. Yahweh loves Nebuchadnezzar. We humans, we'd have every reason to hate him and Yahweh loves him. And it makes no sense. And, And we're one decision away here in this book. We're one decision away from becoming Jonah, who during a very same time period has a ministry toward a pagan king and he hates that people group instead of loving them. And Daniel, we're seeing the opposite. Daniel chooses the better path, the more Christ-like path. Jonah had to be triangle choked by the Holy Spirit to get him there. I wish this was about your enemies. I wish it wasn't about you. Verse 20, the tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to the heavens, to heaven, and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty. And what the most high has declared will happen to my Lord, the King. You will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven and you will have no Facebook friends. You get the idea. Seven periods of time will pass away while you live this way until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Did you guys just hear that? I told you a couple of weeks ago to circle, highlight, underline. Chapter two, verse 21. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He, right? I told you to underline those first two. That's the thesis of the entire book and you're hearing it repeated. Why is God gonna allow this terrible thing to happen to Nebuchadnezzar? You're gonna live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Is that a lesson that everybody should learn? Apparently, Nebuchadnezzar needs the lesson the most though. He's the only one who's gonna have his sanity taken from him. Huh. Verse 26, but the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Was that gutsy for for Daniel? (laughs) He can throw you into a furnace. The later king, can throw you to lions. He feels strongly that this is what God says the dream is, and I love you and I care about you, so I'm going to warn you. So here's a sermon within a sermon. If you love somebody, are you going to tell them things sometimes that they don't want to hear? Particularly when it's about somebody choosing sin and you would love for them to honor God, especially if they call themselves a Christian. Hey, you call yourself a Christ follower and you're doing XYZ. I was reading this book and I love you, and that's gonna end poorly. That's gonna end in disaster for you and for God's glory. Please don't do that. American culture has us drunk on the Kool-Aid of individualism where we don't ever tell each other what to do, and yet, if your friend's about to jump off a bridge, are you supposed to say nothing? We've got 66 books telling us that sin is far more dangerous than jumping off a bridge. The wages of sin is death, not gravity. What can gravity do? It could just kill your physical body. That's a very small thing. Sin is what kills. And Daniel is courageous enough to say, please, king, don't do this. And it's interesting, not coincidental to me, that what we see oftentimes in the New Testament, when we see the church having discussions about what holiness looks like and what behavior should look like amongst Christ followers, that attention to the poor is brought up more than once. And here, some 600 years before Jesus, that Daniel just slips that one in there. This is monarchy, bro. He controls the entire economy. He can do whatever he like. He can do whatever he wants to address any strata of of the culture, right? Most world cultures did not have SSDI. Most world cultures did not have Medicare. Most world cultures, you know, you don't. We don't realize uh, Western economies and Western culture if we do not realize how influenced by Christianity we are. We think today that it's a political issue whether or not you would tax everybody and give some of the money to the poorest of the poor. We don't realize that there are Christian roots beneath all of that. And just before my Republican friends get upset, yeah, but he who does not work does not eat. Totally true. Tell the government. They listened to one part of it and maybe not the other. But but this is a cruciform culture. It's less and less cruciform as time goes on. But the Western cultures of the world that were historically Christian, they have these safety nets for the poor that other cultures historically through the world have not had. If you're a right-handed man and you lost your right arm in an accident, you were a beggar the rest of your life or maybe starved to death. There there was no safety net. And Daniel says, hey, in this repentance and you humbling yourself, get away from arrogance. He just slips that one in there. Care for the poor. It's like this barometer. If you can care for the least of these, you can care for anybody. I think that's what what God is saying. I don't know. This is off the cuff, so this could all be wrong. (laughs) But I just wonder, I just wonder, like if you can care for the poor, you can care for anybody. That's my thought. I don't know. But Daniel's courageous nonetheless. Verse 28. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, He was taking a walk, 12 months. (laughs) Trivia time, is God patient with sinners or is he patient with sinners? Right? He did not owe Nebuchadnezzar a warning. A year later, 12 months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, uh, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. Did you guys hear which order that comes in? When you think the culture is crazy, my sanity returned, and then I praised. We keep waiting for this culture to praise God before sanity has returned. And that's not how it works. The Holy Spirit of the living God has to move first. He restores sanity where there is none. He gives cultural foundations where there are none. He gives definitions where there are none. And when sanity is returned, we can see rightly and we praise. This is what he says, praising God. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. Does all include the person speaking? He's including himself in that. I am nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? You hear that? No one can call Yahweh to account, make him answer a few questions. Boy, do we try, don't we? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the King of heaven. All his acts are just and true and he is able to humble the proud. Amen. How cool is that to have first hand testimony? It's not Daniel saying what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. It's Nebuchadnezzar saying what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Wow. And my intro took me to 10.03. So we're gonna do this fast. Okay. Those of you note takers, grab your pen, your first blank. When we are proud, God may take us through humiliation to a place called praise. And I chose these words carefully. May take us. God does not owe you anything. He does not owe me anything. And if I want to stay in a proud place, I might stay there. Pharaoh did. You want to do a great Bible study this week? Look at Pharaoh and Exodus, turn to Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, keep flipping back and forth and say, where did God in his sovereignty decide to have mercy and save the arrogant leader instead of crushing him? These two men, are essentially the same in their pride. They do not have the same destinies. Totally different. Pharaoh today from hell, he would give anything to have been humiliated so that he could have ended up in a place called praise. But that's not what happened. That's not what he chose. He saw the power of God and he hardened his heart over and over again. You and I, we could be taken to a place called praise. But if we're proud, the only way to get there is humiliation. And I need you to understand the definitions that I'm using right now. Humility is something we could choose into. Humiliation is when it's shoved onto you. Does that make sense? I did not choose this. It could still be grace in my life. I might really need this. Nebuchadnezzar for sure needed this to happen to him but he didn't choose it. It happened to him. And he had to go through a place called humiliation. So I want you to think about boot camp. Nobody has ever said, ah, boot camp. You know, they talk about, oh, college. Oh, college, that was great. Those were the best years of my life. Boot camp, nobody like smiles. They say that was a necessary thing. It was needed. If you knew that boot camp something very, very difficult was the only way to get to where you needed to be, then you would go there. But wouldn't you feel foolish if you found out after the fact that you made it harder on yourself than you needed to? Anybody here ever done something really, really foolish (laughs) afterwards, find out, I didn't need to learn the hard way. (laughs) I chose to learn the hard way. Huh. Guys, when we're proud... Yeah, and when we're proud, if the Lord in his mercy wants to take us to a place called praise, he humiliates us. That's the tough journey in the middle. He allowed the most powerful man on earth to be insane and eating grass for seven years until what? He learned that God rules the heavens. Would Nebuchadnezzar undo this story? If you got a, if you got a chance to undo it, would he undo it? No, because he's in heaven. He's been in heaven for 2,600 years. You think he would change, say seven years of insanity wasn't worth it? He learned to honor God. So it was worth it. Your next blank. How to find out if I'm proud. Here's the litmus test. How to find out if I'm proud. Ask, this is from verse 30, who built this and for whom was it built? This is worth the price of admission right now. Even if you're not a note taker, jot this one down in your phone. You wanna know if you're proud? And by the way, if you're a human, you're proud. So just let's settle that one right now. Jesus is the only one who's truly humble. Ask this question, who built this and for whom was it built? Now, what did Nebuchadnezzar just say in verse 30? As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. Babylon. By my own power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display whose majestic splendor? My majestic splendor. Yikes. This guy was asking for it. <laughs> Who built it? For whom was it built? Okay. So. Let's offend everybody because that's my spiritual gift. Trump Tower and Obamacare. See what I did there? All of you got offended at the same time. Can you build something without naming yourself after it? Naming it after you? Can you? Can you do it? If you're a guest, I've already said that all the leaders of the world are Nebuchadnezzars. So if you haven't been offended as everybody else has, I just need you to know they're all Nebuchadnezzars. So, Actually, the unlucky ones are Pharaohs. The lucky ones are Nebuchadnezzars. So, can you build something without slapping your name on it? Can you build it not for your glory, but for someone else's? Who built it and for whom was it built? Here's, if you love Jesus, what I wanna encourage you to, toward. When you receive praise or accolades, you receive an award, is this spirit inside you? Hey, God has given me so much opportunity. It was my joy to play a role. What if our heart sounded like that? If you're a Christian, I wanna submit to you, our, our heart should sound something like that. God gave me so much opportunity. I mean, goodness gracious, guys. Athletes, your brain, your hand-eye coordination, your body. God designed you on a molecular level and knit you together in your mother's womb. Like, where does the glory belong? I worked really hard. Yeah, your dad and your mom supported you and you had excellent coaches. Who created them? Who deserves the glory? Well, I made personal choices. Yeah, you desired to be famous and you desired to be rich. Despite your sins, God made you an excellent basketball player. Like, <laughs> Where did you contribute here? <laughs> Success in business. <clears throat> I have excellent business acumen. I was wise. I was shrewd. I went to the right school. Um, who gave you access to that education? Who gave you those key relationships? Who gave you your brain? Who designed you? Where does the credit go? Guys, we didn't build this. Your marriage, the better your marriage is in Christ is not the most that you have done. It is the more you have yielded to the Holy Spirit who is the active builder of all things Christ honoring. If you're pulling a muscle, patting yourself on the back, you're missing something. If you are a great mother, that is how much you have passively have yielded to the holy spirit as he cares for your children through you and in you the journey of following jesus is a dance and jesus leads we stumble our way through jesus leads when you get praise when you get that promotion when you get a certificate when people are clapping What is in your heart? What is inside you? What was inside Nebuchadnezzar was, look at this city I have made by my own power and for my own glorious splendor. That's what was inside his heart and it didn't go well. Did not go well. Third, to avoid humiliation, we can choose humility. We can choose humility. Why on earth would God have mercifully warned Nebuchadnezzar in advance? And Daniel adds on to the vision saying, please repent, stop sinning, take care of the poor. Do this now. You're in a place of wickedness. You can walk away from all of it. And maybe this thing that God has declared, maybe it won't happen to you. This is the same warning for Nineveh. It's the same warning for Chorazin and Bethsaida during the ministry of Jesus. Guys, it's gonna be harsher for you than Sodom and Gomorrah. You're seeing Christ in the flesh performing miracles and telling you he's Messiah and you're responding with stone cold hearts. Guys, choose humility. Your Messiah is here. Worship him, adore him, serve him gladly. Don't put yourself in a place where you have to be humiliated. an encouragement to dads. Everybody can take this and translate it for yourself however you like. And I'm by no means, I'm saying that I'm good at what I'm about to share. It's just something we need to be doing. Dads, uh, uh, the more we think about the future and along in decades, one of our greatest fears can be how our children are going to turn out you know you can't control whether your child loves Christ or not, right? There's this important doctrine called free will. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, But when we stop and we think in decades, we can really, really, hopefully, not just from a place of fear, but ask ourselves, God, what can I do to proclaim the gospel in this home? What can I do to model the gospel in this home? so that my children will smell the scent of Christ and find him priceless. One of the greatest answers to that is how we repent as fathers. You're gonna sin 1,000 times a day, bro, if you don't know that already. The Holy Spirit's in your life and now you're only sinning 925 times a day, yay. Three steps forward, two steps back but you're a Christian, so you're gonna repent. You are gonna tell God, God, you were right, you were always right, I was wrong in what I said or did or felt or thought. I was wrong, God. And question, dads, do your kids see it when you sin? Do they hear it? Are they there for it? Could you hide it if you wanted to? Most of the time, the answer is no. Okay, So since our, since our kids are going to see us sin they need to see us and hear us repent. Or we're not even preaching the gospel in our own homes. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not that I'm a Christian now so that I'll never sin. The gospel is I have a cross to crawl back to over and over and over. My children need to see me crawl back to a father whose arms are always open, whose son's hands are nail pierced, I can tell my children with my words. Jesus Christ died to forgive sinners. But then what does that look like? It looks like, honey, what I said was completely wrong. That was sinful. Jesus does not want me to speak to you that way. I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Honey, what what I didn't do for mama that I should have done That was sin, that was wrong. I was lazy and I was selfish and Jesus wants me to treat your mama better than that. And I asked mama to forgive me and I asked Jesus to forgive me. I want you to know that that was wrong. Dads, you do not need to have theological acumen through the roof. You don't need to know how to study Martin Luther in the original German. You need to repent in front of your kids. That's it. Even if you don't know how to verbally describe everything about the gospel in the home you wish you could describe, we've got a kid's ministry and here where we're gonna be constantly repeating it. You're gonna figure it out sooner or later. But if you model it, that's way, way more powerful. Jesus is forgiving me. He's working on me. He's working in me. Turn with me to page 984 in your hardback. Everybody else, Philippians 2. Philippians 2. starting at verse three. This is Paul, an early church pastor talking to a group of Christians in Northern Greece. Philippians 2.3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. This amazing 30,000 foot level Christology, like this is who the second person of the Trinity is. It starts with a personal command to Christians. Be humble like him. This big Christ humbled himself more than you could possibly humble yourself to a a torturous death that he did not deserve. If the head of the church behaves that way, then who are we to do any less, right? This is our example. You wanna avoid humiliation? Well, choose humility. Proactively choose humility. And it's not in the notes, but our, our world gets this wrong in two ways. I want you guys to look at me. If God is up here and uh, the primordial sludge is down here, okay? Arrogance can work in a, two different, a few different ways. If I think I'm a really big deal, I might elevate myself too high where I'm up here and I think I'm with God. But self-focus, it can also be navel-gazing and woe is me, I guess I'll go eat worms, nobody likes me, okay? That is also incredibly self-focused, Okay. The gospel at once drags you down if you are too high. The gospel says that you're a sinner, that Jesus had to die to wash your sins away. It drags you down. And the gospel, that same gospel message pulls you up out of the mud and said, you are more precious than you could possibly imagine to God. Do you know that? Christians can't live in the sludge and we can't be there (laughs) with God like we're equal to him. There's this place in the middle Sinner, but saved by grace, dearly loved. Right there in the middle is what's true. Right there in the middle, that's what's true. So humility actually requires repenting of both of those because if I say I'm like God, I am what? I am disagreeing with God and saying my voice is bigger than what God has declared about me. But if I say that I'm just, I'm the sludge, I'm also disagreeing with God. You are not primordial sludge and you're not God. God. You are neither of those. Humility is receiving from the voice of God my identity. He says, I am made in his image and I am dearly loved and I'm a sinner and I'm responsible to respond to the grace that he freely offers. He, He says all of those things. Arrogance would be to disrespect and contradict anything he has said. So let's humble ourselves. All right, let's take action. If you are exploring faith, if you're kicking the tires of Christianity, put on humility by choosing to follow Jesus. There can be no more humble thing that you do than say, I I believe for the first time, I believe Jesus is running the world and he's doing a really great job at it. The evening news may be awful, but he's handling it better than I would because I'm a sinner and I'm a fool and I'm finite and I'm too big for my britches. And I can't wash away my sin. It looks like he's doing it magnificently. If, if you find yourself in a place where your heart believes that for the first time, welcome to the family of God. Because it is supernatural. It is a miracle for you to believe that. Because of our pride. Nobody just wakes up honoring God. The Holy Spirit changed your heart. If you love Jesus already, put on humility by continuing to follow Jesus. Who here wants to testify you wake up every morning and you need to re-decide to keep following Jesus, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit's gonna let go of you, but you still need to wake up every morning and say, God, we're doing this, right? Every morning, we're doing this, right? Right? There's nothing more arrogant. We're gonna get into Galatians this fall and you're gonna see this. There's nothing more arrogant than I am saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. His blood shed on this cross saves me, but then I'm gonna mature past that onto other things until I'm the one studying Revelation to figure out exactly when Jesus Christ is returning as if that's deeper somehow than the gospel. No, there's nothing deeper than the gospel. We do not mature beyond the gospel. It's not possible. And then for all of us, And this is the broader context of the text of chapter four. Do not stress yourself over the great leaders of the world. God can humble them anytime he chooses. He can humble them anytime he chooses. All right, I've gone long. Thanks for humoring me. Let me pray for us. Father, as we always uh, beg you, Please feed our souls. God, give us the humility to hear your word and to gladly receive it. God, by the very nature of our pride, we didn't want to hear today what you've got for us from Daniel 4, from Philippians 2. We, we, in our flesh, didn't want to hear it. Uh, We really think we are a big deal, God, unless you step in and change our hearts. Um, So help us to receive. Uh, Jesus, for those of us who are exploring faith, I ask for the miracle of salvation today. God, take hearts of stone and exchange them with hearts of flesh that can love you and trust you and adore you and worship you, can see you rightly. God, make us a family that is defined by truly trusting our creator uh, over all of the rulers of the world that look like they're in charge. God, help us to see rightly and to have faith that glorifies you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, God's people said.